With all the static and buzzwords floating around about banking and innovation, you might well wonder why do some brands soar and succeed while other brands fail? And to that end, today on Dave and Darm Demystify, they have an incredible guest, Jerry Blanton. Jerry is an experienced consultant with Istari Global in Singapore and the co-founder and principal of Blantonium. And today he's going to explain what goes into making a winning brand in a digital age, even while paying respect to some old school principles. From the studios of NMD Plus in the UK and US comes the Dave and Dom Demystify Show. Dave. Dave and Dom Demystify Show, making sense of the world of fintech and digital finance. Sit back and listen as the two Ds take a subject and chat it through to make it clearer and easier to understand. And now, here are your hosts, Dave Wallace and Dom Mystery. Demystify. Welcome everybody to another show. And this week we have a special guest, Jerry Blanton. Jerry. Hi, we've never met, and I know you know Dave, but why don't you give us a bit of background on yourself? You bet. So yeah, I'm Jerry Blanton. I live in Singapore, where I've been for nearly 10 years. I'm a 14-year, now ex-city banker. So I started my career in banking in New York, in branding and marketing in a global capacity. Moved to Singapore in 2011 to really focus on Asia and then increase that remit to Europe. Again, focusing on the brand and marketing side and then marketing technology. And then about six years ago, kind of made a pivot to really the experience of the brand, big focus on digital, and we can talk more about that because I know that's your guys' passion and experience, but really trying to rethink what the brand means and how it goes to market by its actions, which ultimately is the only thing that matters, I think, to the consumer. And I started my career before that in advertising and design agencies, both in New York, California, and actually started my career in Japan. This is a topic that I'm always very interested in, but one that I've never really understood. Can you tell me a bit more about how do you put something like a brand together for a bank? And how does that work online? Yeah, that's a really good question. Actually, over the years, I've kind of changed my thought process about what a brand is and how a brand should be managed two schools of thought. There's a traditional brand-centric point of view, which is let's go out and do research, let's understand what the competitive set is and find some kind of white space or some unique point of view which says this is who we are and what we stand for. It's a time-tested approach. I don't think it actually gets you very far, certainly in financial services or in banking specifically, because you tend to all cluster really in the same space which usually is based on tradition and trust and longevity and things of that nature. You may try to add something like innovation to the mix, but these are really concepts that you ultimately try to then instill into the customer's brain. And that is generally done through traditional advertising media and those tools. Now that's kind of the old paradigm of doing branding. You're saying that the overall definition 
of the brand or researching the brand is the same, but the way that you bring it to market is different because now we move to digital. Is that what you're saying? It's not so much because you move to digital that things need to be different, but what it does is it takes companies and brands that used to be much more about, hey, this is who we are and what we're doing, and please come and take our services, right? Do business with us. Digital actually flattens that whole process out. It's much faster between, hey, I've never heard of you. This looks interesting. What do you have to offer me to, yeah, I think I'll go ahead and take that, right? I'll do business with you. And because that's so collapsed, you really short circuit a lot of these historical pieces or traditional ways of going about this exercise. So it really foreshortens and and flattens the experience out. And it makes every brand effectively an active brand. You have to be able to deliver on some promise. You have to be able to deliver on the expected outcome and the expected experience, or you fall flat and you've missed the mark. Yeah, you're absolutely right. I mean, it seems like people are launching themselves and scaling very quickly as a brand. So something fundamentally is different. Yeah, that's right. Ultimately, the brand lives in the customer's head. As a brand manager, you don't really have control over what someone perceives you to be. Now, if you're good at it, meaning that your product is consistent, your service is consistent, you deliver all the things you say you're gonna do in a cost-effective or valuable way, then your brand thrives, right? When you have the big mistakes, the moment of truth, where someone has a question, especially in banking, you know, a question about a fee or something that looks not right to them, and you fail on that in the service side, then, you know, the brand suffers. And no matter what you say about it or how great your digital experience is, you still have a net negative experience for that customer. And then that just starts to reverberate. And that's always been true. It's just, you know, as we just said, I think it's just been amplified and accelerated through digital. You know, for me, it's really interesting, this whole notion of the brand in action. I sort of feel as the world has become more digitized, often what we don't see is the kind of evidence of that. Jerry, you and I have talked about the fact that if you look across the banking industry from a kind of digital point of view, there's a lot of sameness, you know, and I think the reality is banks and everybody else really do need to kind of double down on their brands now and start thinking about how what they stand for really drives a different experience. What are your sort of thoughts around that? Yeah, I think that that's, you know, absolutely where we are. I think you can look at traditional banks, you can talk about neobanks or digital banks or whatever term you want to use for the fintechs and stuff that are kind of growing up and starting to create markets for themselves. And some countries are more advanced in that regard than others. And then you have adjacency players that started in one niche area that's not banking per se, but has some financial services element to it. Payments is a great example, especially here in Asia. One other category, which are the big tech players who don't do anything in banking, but are starting to really subsume or occupy a big space in the customer's minds in these core areas of trust and things like that, that actually readily lend themselves to should Apple or Amazon want to take on significant financial services, products or services, you know, I think banks have a real problem then because the trust element is the thing that traditional banks have held as we have 100 years of history in the case of a bank like Citibank or 50 or 60 years of history, still much longer than any of the tech companies. 
and they're kind of trading on the fact that the traditional bank's belief is that the customer would rather do business with a tried and trusted and experienced bank than a bank that's come out of effectively thin air. I don't think that's really true. That's a misapprehension on the part of the banks because, as I said, you know, brands like Apple and Amazon and others you know, have won tremendous NPS scores. And NPS is effectively, in a way, a proxy of trust because ultimately what it says is I would recommend that to a friend or a colleague, right? And so their scores are much, much higher than banks. And in fact, I've seen studies like Bain has done saying we asked about brands like Amazon and whether customers would consider them or how much they would trust them with their finances. And the scores are really high for things like that. So you're seeing a real confluence of these core attributes that banks have held on to that are now also being equally shared by different types of players. And then simultaneously in the fintech space where the startups are coming in with really aggressive pricing on things like savings accounts, and it's almost a zero or very low risk proposition for the customer to say, well, I'm not changing banks, but I will park a certain amount of money that I have access to and take a 3% interest rate when everyone else is paying 1%. But maybe I'm not really that interested in this brand as my primary bank, which is a whole nother discussion. The way that brands are being perceived and what they have to do in order to maintain kind of prominence in the customer's mind is there's a lot more work and effort that needs to go behind it than where we were 10 or 15 years ago when it was just decent products, good service, lots of branches, an okay web platform, and lots of advertising to tell people what to think about us. That's one of the things I wondered was, does digital make it easier, but you're actually saying it makes it harder to create the brand? The delivery now is everything, right? In my own experience at City, we've seen that customers, it takes them only a couple of experiences or not going that deep into an experience before they say, yeah, I'm not that interested in it, right? And I don't want to do this because there's so much choice. I mean, that's the other thing about banking. I don't know of any country or any market that's really underserved with regards to the number of existing banks. So it's not as if people are begging for yet another banking experience. And to be fair, most of those offer pretty good digital experiences as well. So even that level, that's no longer the bar that says, oh, because someone has a great mobile app, I'm gonna make a big switch. That just doesn't happen. People will tolerate actually some decent mobile banking experience even if somebody offers something much better, they're not gonna go and change all their bill pay and all the, the account information and go through that whole experience. So that's not the differentiator. It's that total kind of package of, is the service great when I need it, right? That's a moment of truth. Are the right products available to me when I want them? Are they priced in a way that is on par with the market? And is it easy to do all that stuff? That is kind of a deal breaker. It's like, this is 101 marketing. We do a diploma or a degree in marketing. It's kind of Kotler's four Ps right there, you know. I mean, I think what's kind of interesting is digital forces the BS to be sort of pulled aside. You become very transparent if you're not kind of doing this properly. And this is why I think branding at its core is so important now 
because that's the roadmap for what you're going to be doing as an organization. Now we're kind of being stripped back to some fundamentals. You mentioned Apple. I think Apple's an incredibly interesting business. I mean, I was puzzling the other day as to why Apple isn't doing a lot more to kind of personalize things or obviously personalize. And then I was like, well, actually, it's kind of got me. It's providing value. It's getting so much data from me. They've kind of really leaned into the whole privacy thing. It won't be long before they say, well, Dave, here's a bank account. And it's like a no brainer because I really trust them with my security. I mean, that's what banks are kind of leveraging off at the moment is that customer inertia will stop them moving because they know that people are kind of fearful of these things. But, you know, if Apple was to sort of move into financial services in a really big way, I think people would be receptive because they've sort of lined all the pieces up of the brand in order to give themselves permission to do that. I agree. And I think that if you took a brand like Apple and then took a brand like Facebook, right, two both completely well-known companies, brands, you couldn't have more different points of view from a customer if you said, which of these two would you want to be your bank, right? Where to your point, David, what Apple has done with really ratcheting up this idea about privacy and we know we have a lot of data, but we're absolutely keeping it from being siphoned off by advertisers and third parties. And we're doing all these things that are really quite groundbreaking given that we're effectively leaving money on the table, right? So they're really putting their money where their mouth is literally in that regard versus someone like Facebook, which I wouldn't trust. I don't even put my kids' names on photos, right? My birthday is wrong. Like everything in there, I put different information in and <laughs> I wouldn't trust them with anything. I've even got a nom de plume on Facebook. Uh, yeah, well, <laughs> Chapel Burt Scramble. I'm with you. I just don't trust them. And that's just two great examples of where brand, based on behavior, right? Based on known quantities, everyone has their perception of that. And then you said, okay, what if it was this? And you're like, no way. And you're like, yeah, I'd do that. So that's where we live. And that's what's happening with startups and fintechs you know, who are chewing off, as I said, you know, at the margins, things like payments. Plaid's a really interesting company, although it's not so consumer facing, but they're wiring all this stuff together and creating a true ecosystem. And I think the consumers especially in Asia, are much more open to having a configuration or a constellation of financial relationships with different types of companies to kind of optimize these different things. But they'll always have, as everyone does, their home bank, which more likely than not will be the local largest or second largest bank in their market. That's just kind of how things work out in this space. All of this sounds a little bit expensive. Right. And for a startup, I mean, you know, that's also my background, but how does a startup afford to do this? Unless obviously if the founder is Dave Wallace, then they're fully sorted. But if they have somebody like me, a technology person, what's the best advice you could give to get this stuff done early? Well, Darm, I don't know that it's expensive in the sense that you have to get all these things right. Honestly, that should be more or less perfectly aligned with the product that you're building, right? And the experience that you're putting out there especially as a true digital native product, I think that all the other stuff, you know, the messaging and all that, that goes around that, that doesn't have to be expensive either. Ideally, a startup knows exactly the kind of customer they're looking for. And there are very cost effective ways of reaching those audiences. And if you maintain that focus, 
then you can really build this from the ground up. The key is delivering on each one of the things that you say you're gonna do and do it super well. Then it's a kind of a low cost approach to building up a brand. If you're starting the other direction, which is, well, we have an idea, we're trying to reach everyone, we don't really stand for much of anything in particular, so we have to really broaden our messaging and reach a huge number of people, then it becomes cost prohibitive you know, very quickly, and more than that, completely ineffective. So, so, so really the trick for the startups is to kind of narrow their focus, be very well defined about the customer. You know, the other thing I think that a lot of fintechs have over incumbent banks, even the incumbent banks that want to have a digital only offshoot, which they're only doing because they don't want the cost basis of the branch network. The advantage is that existing banks all seem to have this view that the in-state is to be the primary bank for a customer. And of course, that means having a credit card with you and a checking account and a savings account and maybe a mortgage, an auto loan or whatever the things you offer. They have the suite or at least, you know, 2.3 of your product. But that's kind of a false goal, I believe, especially in the modern era where people are taking things from different places because it's really hard to really be good at any one of those things in a way that's a game changer. If you're creating a new bank, the worst thing you can do is just try to emulate what all the old banks have done. We saw that with Zinja in Australia, right, that recently just had to shut down because they were effectively chasing the existing bank idea, which was we're gonna buy deposits, right, with really high interest rates. So people flock to that. Yeah, great experience, great onboarding experience. They hit all the marks on those things. But the idea was to build up the deposit base to do what? To lend against it. Well, that's just banking and we don't need any more of those. We've got so many of those things, right? No point of view on how that was gonna be different. Was it to the underserved? Was it to the unbanked? You know, was there some twist to that that made it stand out? No, it was really just, we're gonna be a low cost banking platform and compete against the big guys because, you know, we don't have 50% of our operating expense decked against branches. And as I said already, I just don't think that's interesting to a customer. That's not a value proposition. Yeah, thank you for that. Absolutely. I always wondered what happened with the Zinja side of things, but it kind of makes sense to me. You know, they were buying the deposits and you run out of runway pretty fast when that starts to slow down and you didn't make the goal of having enough to start the lending machine. Brilliant. Brilliant. I've learned a ton here. And I've got some ideas behind for my next startup. So I really appreciate that. Thank you so much, Dave. And thank you, Jerry. And we hope to see you again soon on the Dave and Dom Demystify show. Absolutely. I'd be delighted to attend anytime. Great to chat. Thank you for tuning in to Dave and Dom Demystify. We hope you join us next time and check back in the weeks ahead as we build our podcast vault on SoundCloud. Be sure to connect with Dave Wallace and Darmish Mystery on LinkedIn. And until next time, ciao and have a marvellous week. The Dave and Darm Demystify Show is a production of NMD Plus, London, Chicago and Austin, Texas.